What a delightful gift. Thank you. The fifth of the seven principles that Unitarian Universalist congregations covenant to affirm and promote is the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. I believe that this principle is misunderstood and underappreciated. I believe that it's commonly taken for granted. I think it's commonly taken for granted in our communities that we get to make up our own minds here because we do. And, you know, it's just the way it is. And so we come here and we don't think about that this is a special place because um, we have that right within these walls. We don't reference this principle very often. And so on this Sunday, when we prepare for our annual congregational meeting, I thought it was important that we take a look at it for a little while. And then looking at this principle, I first decided to look at uh, the Unitarian Universalist Association's publication of our principles for children because sometimes they do a really good job of interpreting our principles in very easy ways that our children can understand. And so here's the way that we interpret this principle to our children. We say to our children that we believe that all persons should have a vote about the things that concern them. And I thought, that's good, that's good, that's that's a start, but that's all we say to our children. And I think that the fact that that's the way we describe that to our children only proves my point, that we really take for granted what the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process really mean, because it's not all. We think that our children aren't going to get overly complicated concepts. I think we do them a great disservice. Children, as you know, surprise us all the time with their nuanced understanding of difficult things. Children, even the youngest children, understand the meaning of fairness. They understand the meaning of authority, even if they don't know that word itself and even if they don't always listen to it. They understand what authority means. They understand what fairness means. And I thought to myself, I thought, surely we can find a better way to explain democracy better than all persons should have a vote about the things that concern them. And I thought, okay, even if we decide that we can explain democracy better than that, we haven't even touched on the right of conscience. There's no explanation in there about that at all. What on earth is that? The right of conscience. Let's start with that one. Basically, the right of conscience says that nobody has the right to tell you what to think here in our congregation. No one has the right to make you do something here that you don't want to do. You don't have to participate in any ritual that you don't want to participate in. It goes back to early days of Unitarianism when Unitarian congregations fought over communion. Um, Some of them celebrated communion. Very famously, Ralph Waldo Emerson, 19th century writer, philosopher, transcendentalist, and Unitarian minister, resigned. He resigned his pulpit as a Unitarian minister because he couldn't, in good conscience, celebrate communion with his congregation. And his congregation 
at that point in the early 19th century thought that that was a really important ritual. No one has the right to force you to do something like that if you don't want to. So here, when we have rituals, we invite you to bring your own meaning to them, to bring your own interpretation. If we were to have a communion service, not only would we not force you to partake of it, but we would invite you to bring your own meaning to that. Probably within these walls, there would be few people that would take a very conservative theological meaning to communion. We would look at it metaphorically. We would look at it as a remembrance of the teachings of Jesus. We wouldn't take a very literal and conservative view on it. But if that's the way you thought about it, you would be free to think about it that way. And no one would have the right to tell you that you can't. In covenanting to affirm and promote the right of conscience, we are codifying freedom of thought and the freedom to act according to our own values and beliefs. And this is, this is a very American value. This, this value was touted by the founders of this nation in explaining to the people of the new United States of America what this country was all about. People like John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, when they explained, okay, what's this new country about? They talked about the freedom of conscience and the use of the democratic process, even if they didn't always use those exact words. And I think that our country as a whole takes this for granted pretty much as well. And when I was reminded in the car ride down here this morning that this week is the 20th anniversary of the democratic protests in Tiananmen Square and the violent um, quashing of those protests by an authoritarian government, I realized that, yeah, maybe every 20 years we think about how special it is that we can have a protest in a town square. We can raise our voices no matter what our voices say. We can disagree about things. We can disagree with our government. And there aren't going to be tanks rolling over us in this country. We take it for granted that we have freedom of conscience that we have freedom of voice, that we have freedom of speech. We take it for granted in this congregation because most of us come here and after we're here for a while, we forget that there are all sorts of other religions out there where dissent, where questioning, where freedom are not core values to their faith. Not, Not every religion out there, certainly, but there are many religious communities out there where those things are, don't even come close to the radar screen of core values. We tend in Unitarian Universalist congregations to misinterpret that right of conscience, though. Sometimes I've heard it interpreted as everyone has to agree or we can't say anything as a collective community. And I think that that's a really dangerous misinterpretation of what the right of conscience means. That interpretation has stopped a whole lot of congregations from doing anything even slightly controversial because someone might disagree with them. That's really dangerous. In, in a society that depends on people raising their voices about things that they care about, we as a community need to find a way to raise our voice about the great moral issues of our day, even if there are people within our walls who disagree with the stand that we as a community take. We need to find a way to do that. Sometimes 
the right of conscience is misinterpreted as, I can believe anything I want. Or even worse, even worse, I've heard it misinterpreted as, I can do anything I want. In our country, there are a lot of people who label themselves libertarians, who I believe famously misinterpret the intent of our nation's founders with respect to freedom of conscience. They hold that our nation was founded on the right to exempt oneself from any social obligation for any reason whatsoever. People that just decide, well, I I have a moral objection to paying taxes, so I'm not going to, for example. Well, it's dangerous when that happens in our society. It's dangerous when things like that happen in our community as well. When things like that happen in a congregation, when people say, well, I know that you all agreed to do something this way, but I'm going to do it my way and you can't stop me. And while that might be true, it might be true that we can't stop you, it doesn't make it right. No one has the right to tell you what to think here in this congregation. No one has the right to make you do something that you don't want to do. But the freedom of the right of conscience preserves our right to dissent, but it doesn't eliminate our need and our responsibility to listen to one another. I think that here as a community we strive to encourage listening as a deep spiritual practice. We should strive more. We should strive more intentionally to encourage listening as a spiritual practice. Each week we celebrate a communal celebration of joys and sorrows, the milestones of our lives. We can, if we choose, every week make that an exercise in deep listening. As everyone comes up to share the things that are weighing on their hearts, the things that are bursting forth from them, the rest of us, our job is to listen. Listen with open hearts and open minds to hear, to feel what our fellow congregant is feeling. It's a deep spiritual exercise, and I think that we should transform that ritual into an exercise in deep listening to one another. The right of conscience doesn't eliminate our responsibility to do that listening. The right of conscience does not eliminate our responsibility to live up to communal expectations or covenants. It does not mean that a community cannot take a stand, even though we as an individual might disagree with that stand. It just means that the community has a responsibility to try and hear what your point of view is. Democracy certainly involves giving everyone a say in things that are important to them. But I think that it's important to understand that systems of inequality and oppression and power are at work in our society. And those systems mean that most of the time some people have more of a say and some people have less of a say And that inequality in how much of a say people get is wrong. We need to be careful that those systems don't filter into the way that we make decisions here in this congregation. So I think we have to ask ourselves, what does the democratic process really mean? Sometimes it means we vote on things. Sometimes it does. And when we vote on things, it's usually the majority that wins a vote. But the majority can't always carry the day, or even the plurality in the case of elections in this country. 
in most of the communities where we live, when there's an election, it doesn't matter how many people are running, the person who gets the most votes wins. If there are two people running, usually someone gets a majority. But if there are eight people running, someone can win an election with 13% of the vote in most of the communities we live in. There are some places where runoff elections are called for, and that's a good thing. But should someone really consider themselves the representative of all the people if they got 13% of the vote? I don't think so. I think that we need to consider in our congregation, in our community, what the democratic process means. We need to consider other forms of democracy other than the majority always wins. Even if at the end of the day there's a vote and someone someone wins that vote. The spiritual practices of listening, of being in community with one another, of being in covenant with one another are powerful calls to really understand what everyone brings to the table, to really understand that the minority viewpoint in any given situation has value and worth. And the majority rule sometimes leads to the tyranny of the majority. We see that all the time in our country when states and cities and sometimes our nation decide to put things like civil rights to a majority vote. It's never a good idea to put the civil rights of a minority to a majority vote. The Supreme Court has said so time and again. We have federal voting rights legislation to make sure that that doesn't happen. In a recent article in a law journal, Cheryl Hain of Northeastern University wrote, The civil rights of minorities in the United States are routinely voted upon by representatives, adjudicated by the judiciary, and placed on ballots for public votes. Through the process of popular referenda and initiatives, the majority has successfully voted to repeal existing civil rights legislation, pass new restrictive laws, or prohibit the passage of new legislative protections. Without the filtering mechanisms of the representative system, does direct democracy, she asks, promote majority tyranny in the case of civil rights conflicts? We in our society all need to be asking these questions, but we as a congregation need to be asking, what does that mean inside these walls? What does that mean inside these walls when we covenant to care about one another, when we covenant to listen to one another, when we covenant to try and understand how to make a more just community? Democracy means that we must strive for fairness in our decision-making. And although it asks us to make decisions, democracy means that being in the majority does not absolve us of our responsibility to listen to those who are on the other side, to listen to those with concerns, to try and understand their concerns, to feel empathy. And I use that very loaded word in our society this week on purpose, to feel empathy for those who disagree with us, to try and feel what they are feeling. These things, the right of conscience, the use of the democratic process, they don't exist in a vacuum. One of the downfalls to the values on which America was founded, to the values on which Unitarian Universalism 
was founded is that we tend to put a lot of emphasis on the individual, our individual right to think and do whatever we want, our individual right to make up our own mind. And in doing so, we sometimes shoot right past the needs of the community, the common good, the common wealth, as it were. We shoot right past the needs of a community. And so in this community, our spiritual challenge, our theological challenge is to remember that we are in relationship with one another. That that relationship requires us to take extra steps in exercising our right of conscience, in exercising our power of voting, in exercising the right of this community to make its own decisions. The relationship that we are in with one another requires us to weigh our individual concerns and needs with the concerns and needs of the entire community. There are theological bases for these two. Theologically, we as Unitarian Universalists believe that nobody has the one right answer. It's a theology of pluralism that is really powerful. It's a powerful statement in our society at large that none of us can claim boy, I've got the one right answer and the rest of you are all wrong. If you don't believe the way I do, you are all going to hell. We don't say that. It's one thing you will not hear unless, you know, I'm joking about it. You don't hear it here because we don't say it. It's not our theology to believe that. We come together and we believe that being in community with one another, being in relationship with with one another is more important than all believing the same thing. And I think that theology of pluralism, our theology that calls us to work for equality and justice, our theology that calls us to heal the brokenness in our world, all of those things need to inform the way we interpret our affirmation and promotion of the right of conscience and the use of democratic process in our congregations and in society at large. In just a few minutes from now, after our service ends and after we all get a cup of coffee and catch up with one another and the things going on in our lives, we will come back into this room and we will engage in the most sacred of Unitarian Universalist rituals, the annual congregational meeting. Now, you might go, oh, goodness, the meeting. Do I have to stay for the meeting? Please don't make me stay for the meeting. Stay for the meeting. Please, please stay for the meeting. It is the most sacred of our Unitarian Universalist rituals that we, as a gathered community, make decisions together. We, we are not only going to be voting on things that we all agree about. We are going to be practicing the sacred spiritual art of listening to one another, the sacred spiritual act of making difficult decisions together about what is best for our community. It might look like a meeting to you, but it is a sacrament in our faith, the annual congregational meeting, and I implore you to stay, to participate, to listen, to vote. It is truly, it is truly a sacred act, and we must not take for granted that we as a congregation come together to affirm our right to make that decision to affirm that each of us has a responsibility to hear the voices of others and then to make decisions that best 
lead to a future that is bright for all of us. So I implore you to stay. Blessed be.